Coming up on this edition of the Golf Digest podcast, we have a chat with top 10 player Tommy Fleetwood and discuss the do's and don'ts for playing golf safely. My God, my swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. Well, why do they even have one if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun. We're having fun. What is this, custom? Mine's off the rack. I wish Tiger Woods was here to help me with this. We'll do it live. Welcome back to the Golf Digest podcast. I'm Alex Myers. Today I'm joined by Sam Wyman and Daniel Rappaport. And uh, guys, we have a, a chat with, uh, I mentioned top 10 player in the world, Tommy Fleetwood. He's actually number 10 right now. In the That's Christian still top 10. Tournament. Still top 10, exactly. Uh, I want to talk to Dan a little about uh, his caddying for a top 25 player, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Who's number 25? Exactly, number 25. So we're, we're, we're hitting right in these uh, sweet spots. Um, but first, I want to talk about two of the game's biggest stars, Not maybe not in the top 10 anymore, although Tiger's close, uh, teaming up again for the match, part two. Uh, it's actually the match champions for charity, and this time Tiger and Phil are bringing along uh, two of the greatest football players of all time, arguably the greatest, in Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Uh, we don't know the date yet. We don't know the format. We do know that Phil will team up with Tom Brady and Tiger will team up with Peyton Manning. So Dan, I'll let you start off. Obviously you're our main Tiger guy. Um, what's kind of the, the latest on this uh, coming together? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's cool that we're going to see some live golf before too long here. I think uh, the, the teams were kind of a no brainer, right? You, you couldn't have Tiger and Brady. Yeah. That that wouldn't be much of a fair fight from a uh, from a trash talk perspective. I don't know what right. Bill and Peyton would, would have to reply, but um, no, I think you know uh, Tiger gave us you know, his comments on this match and, and said that it's it's going to be a lot different than uh, when he played Phil in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I think that match was received with you know kind of mixed reviews. It was it was ambitious. They were trying to showcase golf in a sort of a gambling sense. I think gambling was was a huge focus. Obviously, it being in Las Vegas and remember the broadcast had all those elements about live odds and challenges and just felt sort of very glitzy and glamoury. This one is, this is for charity. So it, it's going to have a different, um, a different feel. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what Tom Brady's game is like, because I, you know, I, I've heard that he's anywhere from, and that's the thing with these celebrities, you always hear about their handicaps, a huge range. I feel like Tom Brady's going to shoot like 69, just knowing, knowing who Tom Brady is as a, as a competitor, I would not want to play against him in any sort of match. Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, they're both – aren't they both supposed to be about the same level? Kind I think of they're both single digits for six, sure. Yeah, like six to eight-ish type level. I mean, And again, you mentioned it is interesting with these celebrity guys because obviously their range of scores that they could show up with is a lot different than a pro. I mean, maybe he could shoot a 69, but he could also shoot an 89 if he was really off. That being said – the format, yeah, we're gonna have to see what the format is. It's, it's obviously gonna be some sort of team thing, so they so that they can con- contribute. Yeah, you would think you would completely favor kind of an erratic player who's you know capable yeah. of hitting some spectacular shots. So there's no way they're gonna be playing, you know, rattle bottom four guys. Yeah. Um, like like our uh, Christian Yost always says that that's the type of player he is. He can yeah, deliver exactly. a couple of birdies, but he'll shoot in the nineties. <laughs> but it'll give you give you a couple of highlights. Um, yeah, no, I I. I, I think, Dan, you mentioned the first match and it had so much hype that I feel like it just, it was almost impossible to live up to. Neither of the guys played that great. They were playing for $9 million. They were pretty, you know, they were a little more tight lipped than I think it was billed as being. So I, I think this is a chance to kind of get some redemption for that. And the fact that they're playing for charity, of course, because some people were turned off by the optics of the first one and yeah. now you have the charity aspect. So right off the bat, a lot more people are going to be more into this and more willing to, I didn't think it was as bad as everybody made it out to be, but, but people were, were just ready to kind of critique it. So they won't be as ready to this time. And again, bringing the two other guys in there, I think will liven up the atmosphere a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think it's a lot to ask two guys to carry a broadcast. And, and I know there were other people out there, but you know, Tiger and Phil, um, Phil likes to trash talk a lot. Tiger, I think we saw he's just not – the way he competes is not very verbal, right? He's, he's not the guy who's going to 
trade sort of corny, corny barbs. It, it's very inward. Um, but you know, Peyton, we've seen from his from his uh, career as a pitch man for Directv and a million other companies that he's obviously comfortable with cameras. Um, and Brady, it's not him doing his social media, but his social media is like number one trash talk, cor- uh, a cheeky joke account that there that there is in the world. So hopefully Brady and, and, and Peyton can can contribute a lot. And yeah, I think what you said, the optics of you know two guys who have made hundreds of millions of dollars in their career playing for nine million dollars that you know realistically wasn't theirs. Um, that wasn't people were some people were rubbed the wrong way about that, but this isn't for money. This isn't, this is a response to something that's happening right now. Um, so I think that the, like you said, it might not have been as bad as people thought it, that it was, but they had such high expectations that they were, you're always going to be tough on something like that because yeah. it's like, it seems to be greedy. I think people will, will be go a little bit easier on a match for uh, COVID coronavirus. I, I would also add that the, the great thing about this following that original match is that, uh, it that match lowered expectations because yeah. the you know the 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 first one they were unreasonable and it was kind of like when someone says I'm going to tell you the funniest joke wait for this joke and then they deliver the joke it, that was kind of that whole match was oh it's going to be different we're going to have all this kind of off uh, you know off the cuff remarks from these guys and it's going to be really spontaneous and then you know you you have nowhere to go but be disappointed so everyone kind of knows what the baseline is now I do think the other two guys help take the pressure off of Tiger and Phil. And I just think that people understand, okay, it's probably not going to be perfect. It's not going to be, you know, revolutionary, but it'll be entertaining. Well, right. And, and you're right. The first time around we were sold is like, this isn't going to be your typical match. It's going to be more of an entertainment more. And, and it really was just a match. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> and, and also you had to pay $20 for it. And now you're not going to have to pay this time, which is going to have a lot, which lowers the bar again for, for people um, as well. And, and Dan, you mentioned, uh, it's funny the way you mentioned the the Tiger's not great at kind of um, the outward competitiveness because he just told Henny Zool obviously last week he he was asked to compare his competitiveness to Michael Jordan and one of he said he would list him and Jordan as one A one B but he said that Jordan was more outwardly competitive mm-hmm. now we see Tiger with the fist pumps and everything else but like you said to your it's not like he was talking trash on the course during yeah, and that's not really golf in right. general i mean i think that's one of the things that was sort of uncomfortable about the first one is you're asking a guy who um has won his majors by just being steadier than everybody else right just making the pars keeping his head down um to come out and, and start talking trash that's not really the nature of the sport whereas basketball obviously it's a contact sport you know you have your team to hide behind or um your team to support you um so it, it's really just not the major nature of golf but yeah, and I also think the format was tough. Like, like you said, the first thing you know, they just didn't play that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you have two guys and they're playing a, a straight up match of, of conventional match play, winning holes with pars is just not very good television. But this way, you add two guys who, yes, they're good, they're good players, but they're bad enough players to where they're going to hit some bad shots, mm-hmm. and that's going to have some natural, you know, content, some interplay between the guys. Oh, like good one there. You're going to have to see. Hopefully, there's some alternate shot component to where you know, Tiger and Phil are going to have to hit these recovery shots after these guys put them in the trees. Um, the, the format for the first one just felt kind of what Sam was suggesting, just a little bit of a setup for a letdown. And hopefully this one uh, will be pleasantly surprised as opposed to maybe let down a bit. I, w- I will say, um, you know, that we're, we're, we're not paying for this one, correct? It's just free. Right. It's going to be free. Okay. Um, well, I, I mean, would... I, I play penny. I pay plenty for cable. Every yeah, month. yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, no, no extra on top. Um, Tiger referenced this in his interview with Henny. I would pay premium dollars if they could just have a scroll of their text exchange um, the entire time. I, I, I saw, if you could play that, I would pay a hundred dollars yes. or more because I'm yeah. sure it's, I'm sure the trash talk is, is great. And I'm sure, um, you know, it's, it's a much bit, you know, clearer window into those guys' personality. Right. A tiger already mentioned that they have text chain and that it's, I think the word he used was rough <laughs> that uh, what you see is not going to be, quite that rough out there but we already dan you mentioned tom brady i mean he already posted that uh that animation of him and phil towering over tiger and peyton and took a shot at the colts and i think he was taking a shot at the bengals yeah Um, so he kind of got the first shot out there and you know it's entertaining this is tom after dark right this is post patriots tom he can he can have a little (laughs) play these play these exhibition matches off crash tiger woods he's a He's kind of do. He's in the YOLO part of his career. He's doing whatever he wants to do, and and good for him. He's earned it. He's more than earned it. Yeah, and 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 again, of course, the situation now is so different. Um, you know, the match 
kind of filled that void left by over a decade absence of the skins game uh, over Thanksgiving weekend. Now we have no golf. So everybody's going to be amped, I think, to see this a a little more. What, you know, we don't know where it's going to be yet. Uh, Who knows? It could come out today. Uh, We don't know the format exactly. However, of course, there's already odds. Uh, Our friend uh, Jeff Sherman at Westgate Las Vegas already put out that Tiger and Peyton are minus 150 favorites. So pretty solid favorites over Phil and Brady. Uh, Dan, what what format would you like to see? I feel like it's got to be like a, I don't know. I've, I've played matches before where it's like six holes, six holes, six holes, or uh, two-man teams where it's like six holes of best ball, six holes of alternate shot. Oh, get them all. Okay. Yeah, and six holes of some sort of scramble or six holes of playing your own ball. But I think variety because I think – just straight up match play, best, best ball. That's kind of what we saw in the first match. It just kind of gets old. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure they'll have some fun long drive challenges and all that stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if Peyton or, or Brady, you know, win one of those things because these football players, they might not be scratch handicaps, but they can, they're all, you know, I think we forget. And, and you're going to see when Peyton and Tom Brady are out there, they're going to make Tiger look very small. These are, <laughs> That's right. uh, well, I mean, you look at Peyton Manning, I, I saw him at the, uh, uh, at and when I when I caddied, and he's just like a massive guy, and I think you forget that these quarterbacks six, because six foot five, yeah, six I mean, foot five, but also yeah. like you know a solid two hundred and thirty pounds, and Brady's the same way. I think he's six four. You know, you think of these because yeah. they're kind of just standing there and they're not really moving around. You don't think of that, but then you they walk through a room and you're like, damn, that is a freaking athlete right there. Right. So, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they win one of those, but yeah, I think the key is just variety and don't don't try and make it you know really buttoned up match match play match because that's not what anybody. <laughs> They will be getting strokes, right? Oh, definitely getting strokes. Yeah. That's that's the thing. I don't know how you could possibly make a bet on this without seeing handicaps. Isn't that uh, like right? And also, they play from the same tees. I mean, I guess so. If you're talking about length, so that's a great question. Um, maybe they kind of compromise and and bring the tees in a little. Uh, yeah, we see. I'd like to see the the sites cup uh, scramble two man scramble format Amazing. that we get to play. It, it's it's great, and then and then make obviously you know, three tee shots per nine be used by yeah. Brady or, or Peyton. And un- yeah, and under, an underrated format also is like the reverse scramble where you both hit tee shots and you have to play the wor- the other two choose which tee shot you want to play. Actually, right, right. You can imagine, you know, Tiger hitting one right down the middle and Peyton hitting one 150 yards right, and then mm-hmm. Phil says, yeah, you're playing that one. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, it should be interesting. And it's it, again, it's something to look forward to. And Sam, I know that there's other things possibly brewing as well. Um, with other players and um, there's, there's something in Dallas going on. There's a mm-hmm. rumored uh, maybe tailor-made thing going on. And there's, there's a few things and it, I mean, I guess it's good. I mean, it gives us something other than the outlaw tour to watch, you know, you can, you can watch the outlaw tour on Periscope. But other than that, uh, we got some things look, to look forward to. I think people are, are starved for obviously distraction, first of all, but also sports. And uh, so being able to see, you know, competitive relevant sports and not you know a replay of the 2013 pga championship is a is a welcome is a welcome break so i'm sure i'm sure they'll do really well in that regard unless the weather is great which could i guess would be a variable too right uh speaking of the outlaw tour we we i think we mentioned him last week or the week before I, i get the weeks mixed up now uh but alex checka a former PGA Tour winner, he won the Puerto Rico Open in 2015. He's also a four-time European Tour winner. He has now won back-to-back events, at least that he's played in, I believe, on the Outlaw Tour. He won something called the Parker Championship the other day. He won a trophy. It actually looked just like the, uh, the Gene Sarazen trophy <laughs> from one of the World Golf Championships. So the Outlaw Tour is also notorious, I guess, at ripping off trophies. But uh, what do we make of this? I mean, I guess this is a guy who is just trying to stay competitive. I mean, he's made $20 million in his career. I would hope he doesn't need the money, but he's made uh, a $5,000 check and a $4,000 check uh, in these two wins. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to – it kind of underlines just how big the financial gap is in the world of professional golf. Because last place – or the last place among people who make the cut at most PJ Tour events is somewhere around seventeen grand. So we'd have to win two more tournaments uh, to equal what a T72 at the 3M Open uh, would win. But no, yeah, I think he's he's 40. He turns 50 uh, in December. So if you want to get some U.S. Open 2021 U.S. Senior Open futures, Alex Check has got to be in the top five. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. I know. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, it's like, oh, he's getting sharp for the senior tour. He had played a few uh, PGA Tour events uh, earlier this year. And I mean, I hate to say it, but you never know. It's possible that he turns 50 before pro golf comes back for let's real. So let's he, hope not. But yes, yeah. hope that's not the case. But he, he could be ramping up for, uh, you know, life on the PGA Tour champions but i mean sam i don't know would you have a problem would you think if you're these other guys playing and 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 actually uh dan your your uh, northwestern buddy dylan Wu has been figuring prominently mm-hmm. in these tournaments as well so these are obviously they're getting better fields than they're used to getting i mean on one hand yes he's he's taking money out of other guys pockets because he's not presumably a, a regular on this tour or a guy who, who could be playing at a higher level for the opportunities were there. And the other way of looking at it is, is he's in some ways legitimizing um, the level of play on this tour. I mean, if, if a guy who's, you know, who's had success at a very high level, almost won the players championship we just mentioned before right. uh, in 2009. So he's a legitimate player. So if I'm, you know, uh, an up and coming player and I have to say, oh, I'm playing a, in a, an event with against a bunch of no names, that's one thing where I'm playing against a, uh, in a, on a tour where, you know, it's a guy who's, who's, you know, had some success on the PGA tour. That's, that's meaningful. Yeah, for sure. And, and I wasn't kidding before they, they have been, I don't know if they were periscoping Alex Checo, although I wish they were because he had, I mean, one of the wildest rallies ever, he was down six shots to someone named Tommy Olson and uh, with six holes to play. And he went birdie hole in one birdie Eagle. So he went six under on a four hole stretch to get into a playoff and then he won. So that would have been, pretty cool to see if that had been on periscope that being said uh the outlaw tour the day that they were pushing this periscope unveiling uh at the last minute they said they were only going to be showing one featured group instead of two because one of the guys who was going to film it was too hungover and didn't get to the court so i mean this <laughs> the outlaw tour is is kind of uh, a thing right now the, the hangover the hangovers like coronavirus hangovers are just uh, it's a different level of dark it's like you know, yeah. I'm like what why, why, yeah. did I, why did I do that? I wasn't at a, <laughs> exactly. I wasn't at a party. I wasn't at like a bar. Um, so it's, it's a little tougher to call, to call in, I would think, and say, hey, I'm just a little, little too hung for this. One thing about the Outlaw Tour, I do. So it's, it's amazing the, uh, the range of people you get in this. So you get Alex Cheka, a guy who's he's a PGA Tour winner. In the Outlaw Tour event called the Legacy Shootout, there was a gentleman called Kim Fontana who <laughs> shot 96 and 98 and 52 over par. So being the journalist that I am, I did a little bit of research on this Kim Fontana character. He's 62 years old, and he plays the Golf Channel Amateur Tour, and his scores on that tour, 99, 90, 92. Oh, my goodness. That's like a, like a 17 handicap, which is, I don't know if he likes, like, is he sadistic or he just likes embarrassing it, but he paid money to play in this event. They pay a lot of money to play in these events. Hundreds of prize money comes from. It's basically just yeah. betting on yourself. Exactly. And then he shot 96 the first day, and he decided – I'm going to come back and then shot 98 the second day. And he made a nine on 18 for, he almost beat his 96. If he had only made a six on 18, but he made a nine. I thought for sure you were going to say that his golf channel amateur scores were all like in the eighties or high seventies. And like, you know, no. and as soon as he kind of went on the lights of an actual professional event, he fell, <laughs> the wheels came off. So that's actually an interesting take. He yeah. actually performed pretty well for himself. Yeah, no, I was going to say it was a professional right. event. So he's a pressure player. And that was one of the events with the live, you know, he could have been caught on Periscope. He knew the cameras were rolling. So, I mean, kudos to him for, for breaking 100. Shout out to Kim for your back-to-back pars on 10 and 11. <laughs> that's, that's, imp- that's impressive to shoot that high of back-to-back pars. Um, Dan, I wonder, switching gears, we, we've talked about this before, but was there any sort of celebration when you guided Matt Fitzpatrick to making a cut um, at Pebble Beach? I know you, you – it was – it was a little hairy there and he needed a bit of a rally too, to make the cut. So was there any celebrating going on that night? Yeah. The celebration was called me looking at Googling 2019, 18 T Pebble Beach Pro-Am payout and seeing how much I Yeah. He was one outside the cut line on Saturday because it's, it's three rounds then a cut. And then right. yeah, he was like, Oh, we need two more birdies and last four holes. I was like, screw two, let's get four. And then he actually went birdie Eagle birdie to finish. And so we're, we're tied for 20th going into, going into Sunday and I spent at least two hours doing all the math on how much money I would make with right. each finish. And then it was a super windy day on Sunday. And uh, we played the first eight holes in even par and the eighth hole at Pebble is famous hole, super difficult hole. Got through that one with a nice tube of par. I'm thinking, all right, I look at the board. We're like T14. And in my head, I'm like, Ooh, Ooh we could get some real money here. Yeah. And then uh, absolute disaster the rest of the way. <laughs> 
and he finished T60. And if you look at the video that went up with, with the post, we made a little video um, of the week. The, the night before, he goes, yeah, you know, uh, winning's out of the question. This is Saturday night. We're talking about the strategy for the next day. He's like, yeah, this is, you know, winning's out of the question. But, you know, you, you don't want to go, you know, balls to the wall because T20 can easily become T60. And what did he finish? <laughs> Literally exactly T60. That's so. amazing. What, when you were out on the course, um, because everybody should check out your story, obviously, that's on leading our site right now. Um, were you able to whip out your phone and kind of take notes or how, of, and kind of re- remember what was going on or how, what was your kind of note-taking thought process? Yeah. Phone was in the bag. Um, boss's orders. Right. Um, so I will say I did see these guys checking the le- leaderboards on their phone, which okay. I don't know if that's, a, I think it's not a violation. Um, okay. But I don't know, maybe I'm breaking a huge story here. It wasn't Matt and it wasn't another guy in our group, but I did definitely see guys who were just checking on their phone and I was like, wait, is that okay? And they're like, yeah, if you're just checking the leaderboard, like, I'm not sure if that's. Mm, breaking a while. I don't know what the rule is. I'm not sure what the rule is there, but um, no, my phone and Matt's phone away during the round. But yeah, at the, at the end of the day, I, I just kind of took notes about what I saw. And uh, it's funny, you know, when you're, when you're going through one of those, one of those weeks where you know it's going to be a special experience for you, everything just becomes seared in your memory right away. You, right. you remember details about days because they made a lasting impression on you. So I still remember basically every shot he hit that week. And uh, yeah, the, the, the big moments that are in there, I, I did have a, have a notepad and was, was taking notes at the end of the day because one of the conditions for my bosses letting me take a week off from work to do this was you got to write something about it. So, I was <laughs> yeah, of course. But the other side of it was one of the conditions of you working for Matt was like, you're there to caddy. Like it was not like yeah. a, you know, experiential journalism where, you know, you're there and it was kind of a goof. Like he wanted you to actually be engaged. I mean, this is a, you know, it's a PGA tour event. This is what he yeah, does for a living. PGA tour event. It's a, it's a tw- guy, you know, 25 in the world who's 25 years old, right in the prime of his career. And um, yeah. And I think he, he said to me earlier this week, that I'm officially the backup. So Hopefully we'll get to do it again. So I, I did okay. Great, yeah. And and you're so you're a backup caddy, and you're also a burgeoning narc because uh, you're about to uh, sell out some fellow players here. You know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't say that, but hey, I didn't say any names, so you can't penalize anybody. No names, no names, no names. Um, okay, in terms of us playing the regular hacks, I know Dan's a much better player than us, but the regular hacks, Sam, you did a piece this week that uh, was on our site. And man, it, it blew up because people are really curious about playing golf in this COVID-19 era. Um, there's so much, as you point out, so much misinformation out there. And, and there really hadn't been a lot of um, information specific to golf mm-hmm. for this story. So, I mean, I'll let you just kind of give some of the, the biggest uh, parts. Right. That you well, first of all, um, I should say that we did do a story early on in this whole crisis that Mike Tatura did in which he talked to an an infectious disease specialist. And it did touch on a lot of the things that, that we revisited with this story about the safety of golf. And the feeling there was uh, a lot of, of, you know, what golf constitutes is, is perfectly safe. It's a, you know, it's very easy to social socially distant in golf. Um, You know, you're not really interacting with other people if you don't, you don't really need to, you know, the number of surfaces you're touching can be really be limited. So for all those reasons, um, that was a feeling, but as with everything else with this, with this crisis and this virus is the science is evolving, uh, kind of societies and evolving in terms of like what we can and can't do. And there was still a lot of kind of informo- information floating around about, you know, what is kosher and what's not like, you know, this whole thing about not touching flag sticks or having styrofoam cups in the hole. So you don't have to reach deep into a hole to get your ball, which might be a way to, to uh, contract the virus and feeling about carts. So, so we just, we, you know, we, we reached out to three, you know, pretty serious uh, infectious disease specialists. These are not just golf guys who we wanted to kind of validate what we wanted to hear. These were guys who, who are, who are monitoring this and sort of setting guidelines on a much bigger level about, you know, about golf and, you know, what they know about golf and some of the things that you confront in golf. And I will say this, you know, I worked on the story with Mike Johnson, Mike Stichura, and um, the, the takeaway overall was very reassuring to those people who, who are worried about playing golf and whether it's, it's safe. That said, I would argue it's so reassuring that I think we worry that it would give people a false sense that it's like carte blanche to just go back to playing golf as normal. And there was a lot of debate between the three of us about that, that tone that we strike because 
you know, we are really mindful of, of the message we're sending. There's a lot of debate about, you know, the place golf has in this, in this, during this period and just the, the overall idea of returning to normalcy in general, never mind playing golf, but going to a bar, going to a restaurant, going to the beach, like you're seeing these, you know, photos of, of golf courses and, or golf courses of beaches in California. And so there's a lot, it's a really fraught, uh, fraught area in general. And I think we, I think we struck the right tone and, you know, again, I'm happy because I feel like I feel comfortable playing golf and I'm also really mindful of, you know, um, it's like life can't be perfectly normal for a while. What, what is the one thing that we like actually absolutely need to avoid? Is there anything special besides social distancing, you know, besides not touching the flags that would be surprising? Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say like, rather than talk about what you can't do, I would say going to play golf, walking, um, and, and, you know, not shaking hands. I think you can feel pretty comfortable about that. I would say carts both, you know, there's a little bit of risk with carts. Um, so probably best to avoid or definitely best to avoid right now. And shaking hands is a, you know, is a really easy sacrifice to, to, to not do because obviously people so much talk about hand hygiene during this period. So I think those are the two big things. And I think, you know, be, be content, and something else I'm working on is just be content to be playing some type of golf right now, you know, playing a big shotgun start member guest or going to the grill room for the night, you know, for uh, beers afterwards, you know, that'll come back at some point, but let's not get greedy now. Like let's just enjoy the fact that we can show up at the first tee, go play and, and then, um, and, and, you know, have a reprieve from all of this. Yeah. It was interesting because, you know, we've seen some, some of these cool inventions of, of a way to not, touch the the hole or the cup or the stick, you know, either with the inverted cups or these contraptions where you, you use your club and pick it up. And, and you're the, the experts that you talked to actually really didn't think there was much of a threat in any of that mm. stuff. But like you said, while we're taking these precautions, it doesn't hurt to have mm-hmm. these extra contraptions or the inverted, keep playing with the inverted hole. I mean, anything that you do will, will help even more, but, but yeah, it does seem um, there've been other studies coming out too, that just in general uh, people are not getting this through being outside mm-hmm. nearly at the rate of being indoors. And that's right. that bears out with this. And, and like you said, Sam, I mean, you approach these people without, I mean, of course you wanted to hear golf's pretty safe, but it's not that they, they confirm. They're not stakeholders. Because yeah. we as golf digesters are stakeholders. Let's be exactly. honest, right? We, we yeah. want to hear that golf is okay. We want to promote right. that golf is okay. But because of that, because of that, I, I'm super sensitive. I know Mike and Mike are as well of not being misleading. You know, this is not like, you know, in 2008 during the financial crisis, like, you know, golf took a hit because people, um, you know, thought golf was, um, you know, in excess and sponsorships were lost. And that was a period where we felt like it was really appropriate to lobby on behalf of golf and just mm-hmm. say that golf is not the enemy here. This is different because this is a, you know, public health crisis and you'd hate to be misleading or wrong or slanted about this. And so we are really measuring what we say. I feel hundred percent confident in saying that, you know, the, the, the purest and simplest form of golf is, is safe, but you also don't want to be misleading and saying that, that, you know, all of it is fine because uh, you know, that's the wrong message as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's also what you were saying earlier before we started recording was it's about just cooperation and buy-in from people. Mm-hmm. Everything that you do, all the regulations or all the precautions that you take, they're rendered ineffective if, if they're bad actors. So it, I feel like it's sort of up to individuals um, mm-hmm. to, to follow these guidelines and, and not give golf um, a bad name because like the, there is an optics discussion, which is like, Oh, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Should people really be playing golf? And the answer is they shouldn't be playing golf if they're going to be negligent. Mm-hmm. But if they take every precaution, like you said, there, there is a way to play. And I think those of us who have played, and, and I played last week and I carried my bag and I didn't touch mm-hmm. the flag. And there's, there's no chance I got the virus playing that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess not everyone is that careful. You do raise a good point, which is something we talked about in the story, but it's probably worth emphasizing is that, um, you know, the likelihood of you walking by someone getting coronavirus is pretty slim. That said, the doctors all said, if you're sick, you have symptoms, don't go out and play. Right. Like you have a, you have a responsibility to stay right. home. And he says, you'd be surprised. You know, people want to, they want to go back to their routine or they're, you know, in denial about it. And so, you know, you don't want to be cavalier about any of this. Right. Well, and then, and yeah, again, you wrap up by, by mentioning the handshakes and it seems like handshakes might just kind of go 
by the wayside in, in all walks of life going forward. Um, and, and to that extent too, maybe the high fives, the fist. Bump, yeah. Um, and it's tough. I love the handshake. It's one of my favorite things about golf. I know Dan, but sometimes you gotta, no, I mean, all the, I'm not saying I'm going to do it right now, but I'm just saying, I, I kind of hope it doesn't go away forever. I know that it's not hygienic. I know a lot of people are really grossed out by it, but I don't know. There's something about taking your hand. Yeah. Guys yeah. hand that feels like, feels like putting the cap on the round of golf. So it's so awkward. I will say I played uh, twice um, on Friday and Saturday, whatever it is it was last week. And both days I went with my son. We, we quit after 10. We had to go home. So we played 10 holes. And it, after 10, we're like, all right, guys, we're going to go. And the natural thing, like you said, take off your hat, say goodbye, give a proper goodbye. You just give this kind of awkward, like, okay, you know, best yeah. of luck to you. Take care. And uh, it's just, it's just weird. But, you know, I, I agree that, you know, it's kind of a natural, it's a, uh, it's an easy sacrifice right now. Yeah, it's bad in golf, but it can be good, good in other situations because I left my girlfriend's cousin's house. or Yeah, it was her, like her aunt and uncle. And I didn't know if I was going to go for the handshake or the hug. Yeah. But I think I got it. Hey, yeah, I'm out of here. Goodbye. And then you just walk away. That's a good point. There are some benefits. That's yeah. a good point. Um, one guy who made a noted uh, awful handshake with the caddy, uh, a high five, I should say. It was kind of a disaster. He ended up hitting himself in the face is Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, and since then, he's done a lot more good things on the course, uh, we should say, including almost winning his first PGA Tour event. And again, this is, seems like years ago when that was the hot topic of debate uh, with uh, Paul Azinger making you know comments that some people thought were kind of demeaning towards the, the European Tour. Anyway, we had the, the pleasure of talking with Tommy about that uh, the the Azinger comments about the uh, botched high fives and about his hair during quarantine. So uh, please have a listen to our chat with Tommy Fleetwood. All right, we're excited to welcome five-time European Tour winner and Ryder Cup star Tommy Fleetwood to the Golf Digest podcast. Tommy, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing good actually. Yeah, all um, all is well. Um, you know, it's. Clearly, is you know difficult times at the moment, but so far so good for us. We're okay. We're just uh, we're doing well and having a nice time with the family all together. Where where are you right now? Where have you been uh, holding out this this uh, quarantine? Uh, in, in the UK, at home in the UK. So um, when the uh, announcement came at the players, so that was on the uh, Thursday, uh, Friday sort of evening. I was on a flight out, got home, and then I think um, I think the UK went into lockdown pretty much the Monday straight away really when we got home so uh just been at home but all good like we don't um like i say we don't really get this time kids are you know it's no school or anything so all the family are at home under one roof and stuff and we really never really get this time when there's no agenda or anything going on so it's been nice what uh i think people want to know how's the what's the hair situation like for you it looks like you got a pretty full beard everybody yeah. everybody here is struggling what to do but you're used to the long hair well, yeah, I mean, it's not great. I was just saying before, like maintenance levels have been low um, and I'm, I'm sort of at that stage where it needs like, I think I'm going to give it a little trim because um, it's just it's just sort of, I think I've gone too far now. So I, I was, I was <laughs> contemplating at first, I was thinking maybe I should just go the whole, the whole time and see where we get to. And maybe I still will. Like I changed my mind on an hourly basis whether to go with it or get rid of it. But at the moment, it's still here. <laughs> well, it's always fun to look at old pictures of you before you had the hair and the beard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm wondering, was that like a conscious decision? Like, hey, I'm I'm gonna rock. I'm gonna I'm gonna grow this out. I'm gonna rock a beard because look, I mean, the whole like he looks like Jesus thing. That's usually just a, like a, a lazy trope that people say to anybody who has long hair and a beard. But like your long hair and a beard, like legitimately does look. Uh, yeah, I've kind of got it. I think. Uh, yeah, originally maybe it was something like I subconsciously thought I'm that ugly. I'll try and cover like <laughs> as many like facial parts up as possible. Um, but like genuinely, I think there was um, somebody did like. I mean, I I do love. Um, I think whenever it was like a year ago or two years ago, somebody somebody shouted out "Fairway Jesus" and. I've, you know, I've actually like it. I'll embrace that uh, nickname. Worse people I'm, to be compared to than you know, Jesus. There absolutely is. I mean, my powers are nowhere near as good, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm working on that in the golf world. Uh, but somebody did a painting, um, like it was like um, like an acrylic painting in, um, I think it was Dubai or somewhere. It's for the tournament. And I looked at it and I was like, I've never really seen it before, but that's a joke how much I it, No, it's, it's, it's real. It is actually real, but then, um, so every night now, so our son, Frankie, is, um, so he's, well, he's three in September, so he's, you know, he's past two and a half now, but 
every night he wants to read a few books and he's got this like children's bible mm-hmm. that's got pictures in it and stuff and um originally we're re- you know reading through the stories and he looks at pictures and he's like camel and you know sheep or whatever and turned turned to samson and he went it's dada I mean, genuinely, like <laughs> you got two <laughs> biblical characters now that you so, look like. So Samson or Jesus? Uh, I don't know. That's pretty good. Uh, you mentioned obviously getting more time to spend with the family. Um, is there anything else during this past month that you've picked up or that you've spent more time doing than you than you thought you would? Uh, I've done less things than I thought I would. Like I, you know, I've having the time <laughs> to read or listening to audiobooks, I'm really enjoying. Um, I would say watching past sporting occasions I'm enjoying, um, which we don't really get the chance to do, you know, because we're, you're on the road so much and you're playing so much when you're not, you either don't really watch the TV or you're watching what's happening currently and Mm -hmm. actually watching sort of some past events I've really enjoyed. I, um, I tried cooking once I, I, I said early doors to my wife, I said, maybe, you know, this is my time. Like I can just sort of mirror you and and I can learn to cook with you and stuff. And um, we tried chicken, uh, chicken Milanese day one. And I, it wasn't that I wasn't like, it wasn't that it wasn't great afterwards. I just didn't really enjoy it. So I thought, nah, it's not for quite me. a bit of work. So, well, yeah, I just, I, I thought this, you know, when people say they like watch cooking programs and stuff and they enjoy it and it takes their mind off stuff, I just didn't really get anything out of it. So uh, I'm in the same situation. My girlfriend's a big cook and I, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to trail you. I'm going to learn. And then it's like, yeah, when they have to start handling the raw meat too, I, that, that kind of freaks I like me it. out. I like it when it's cooked. I like yeah, right. it. Like, that's what Very I like. Much so. So news uh, last Thursday, I think it was, came of, of the new PJ Tour schedule. You're uh, one of the, I think they said on the call, there was like 25 or so uh, PJ Tour yeah. players who are outside the country. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, what's your comfort level with, with restarting in a couple of weeks? Are you at all uncomfortable on a personal level? Are you at all worried about traveling? Um, where do you stand on, on that? Um, it's a great question. And I think, um, to be honest, you know, for us in the UK, so we have um, – wherever you are in the world, I think you're very connected with what's going on in, in the country. So in the UK, we, you know, we wake up and we would see the news or we would, you know, see the announcements every day. And, um, June just seems so far fetched for, for us, for, for, for the situation that we're in, um, Mm -hmm. America, you know, slightly different situation, you know, completely different country, et cetera. And, um, whether I'm, I don't know whether the word's comfortable or not. Um, if it's safe, I'll quite happily take people's word for it. And, and you know, I uh, will look forward to playing whenever that is. Um, there seems a lot that has to happen uh, for June to be a realistic target, maybe. But I, I like the positivity and I, I clearly think, you know, I trust Jay completely. I think he does an amazing job. Um, you know, I mean, my honest opinion, and maybe we're sort of so involved in the UK because we know nothing is going to happen in the near future. I think mm-hmm. it does, does seem early and whether it would be, I mean, the likelihood of somebody still catching it, which is pretty infectious and pretty strong, still there, pretty likely. Um, you know, there's a lot of testing that would have to be involved. And then on a week-to-week basis, you know, I, th- I think probably more so is I... I I kind of, so I can see playing, um, maybe, you know, get one, get a week in, but the fact that it goes back to back to back to back and there being mm. no kind of like settle, settling period and whether, you know, somebody might get it and show a symptom in two weeks or something, I feel like maybe that, maybe that's over realistic. But at the same time, if we're going to play golf, I'll, you know, I'll be excited to play and hopefully all will be safe. Sure. How, you know, obviously the first four events are planned to be without fans. Mm. A, how different would that be? And then B, there's been talk of no fans at the Ryder Cup, which seems like a totally different thing. What Can you even imagine that situa- situation? Yeah, tournaments. Um, so the tournaments without fans, I, you know, I think is fine. Um, you know, <clears throat> I sort of grew up, 
playing Challenge Tour in all kinds of different countries and we quite often played with not right. not many people. Not or, huge uh, in Kazakhstan. Oh, yeah, there you go, there you go. Kazakhstan, there was actually a few. Um, Sorry, Kazakhstan. Uh, <laughs> there was like 30 at Kazakhstan, so there's a few more there. Um, <laughs> but um, there's like, um, you know, so I can see that. We did it in Japan, I think. Um, I actually don't remember. I think Rory mentioned we did it at Aronomic and I don't even remember playing with no fans there, but... It's, it's not too bad, you know, you're so in your own bubble when you're playing, so it's okay, but I think the Ryder Cup is a completely different ball game, and, um, you know, there's two, there's two sides of looking at it. On, on the one side, like the Ryder Cup, I, I do, you know, think it's the biggest sporting occasion in the world whenever that comes around every two years, and I think um, the Ryder Cup to be a sort of a torchbearer for times turning and for a positive sort of you know, changing of the winds and we're moving forward and the Ryder Cup is on. And I think it would be a great lighthouse for that. Um, however, playing it with no fans just seems, I mean, I've only played one and it was an incredible experience. Playing yeah, with you, no you, did, you did decently well in that one. I did okay. The fans were on our side. So maybe if it was, you know, pick this from right. the fans, it might be okay. Um, but like, <laughs> it, just doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like, right kind of thing it just it, it yeah. sounds strange to have a Ryder Cup which I do think you know so much of what makes that event what it is you know you talk about you know if guys that have played the Ryder Cup and they talk about not being able to put the ball on the tee or the feeling that they had on you know and I think is the pressure the same I don't think it can be if there's nobody there because I think that's part of what makes it you know I've been 60 70 thousand people watching and there's only four groups on the golf course i think is mm-hmm. is amazing and it, it massively makes the rider cup what it is and you know it'd probably be a shame for you know say you know not that anybody in this rider cup might play it once but say you only played one rider cup in your career mm-hmm. and you didn't get the experiences that other people had had of coming down the stretch trying to win a point or teeing off on the first tee with 10,000 right. people around the first tee. I think it would be a shame for those guys on a personal level that they didn't, you know, get to experience something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference is, like, for a regular PGA Tour event, what, what makes it nervous and what makes it tense, no disrespect to the fans, but it's not really the fans. It's, it's the money, it's the status, it's the, you know, trying to win golf tournaments. But course, with yeah. the Ryder Cup, that is what it's, it's for yeah. the fans. It's not about, yes, people care about the Ryder Cup record, but, you, you know, you're not thinking about your, your legacy at the Ryder Cup. You're thinking about performing in front of these fans. So... Did want to ask you about your first Ryder Cup experience, which obviously went about as well as possible. Um, the, the Mollywood, the, the pairing with Molinari, how did that come to be? Did you know that you guys were going to be playing all four together in the first place? Was that a dialogue with Bjorn? How close were you guys personally? Tell us, give us the, the sort of untold story of Mollywood. Yeah, um, well, I think, yeah, we had, a, we had a good idea that we were going to play together. We wanted to play together. Um, so... Um, you know, we've been friends on tour for a while. So originally, my wife, Claire, she was Fran's agent um, mm. for a few years. So she's always been close with the family, um, Fran Valentina, the kids. And um, I got close to Fran through that relationship when me and, me and Claire got together. So we've been close for a while. We have similar personalities. Um, and, you know, our games aren't massively, massively different. Um, we were, so it was before... Before the FedEx starts, so the last few years, we've always, not us all collectively, but uh, as a family, we've always had a holiday before uh, Northern Trust or whatever the first mm-hmm. playoff event is. There's always the, the week of the wind and we've kind of done that holiday and stuff. And uh, we were there with the Molinaris and the Bahamas and we were just talking away and we obviously knew that we wanted to play together and we were like, well, we should probably tell a captain if we want to play together. It'd probably be a good idea. A good uh, idea. And anyway, you know, spoke about it and then leading up you know you have a couple of practice rounds and then in the Ryder Cup you have some practice rounds but the I mean the honest truth is you actually don't know what the parents are going to be like enormously I think we might have found out um probably I'm sure we knew before the last practice day say maybe on the morning of the last practice day you know who you're playing with um and then the team gets announced uh later on that day and it's the opening ceremony but did we know we were going to play two games in a row no so uh we just did very well in the first one uh we were like you know really happy to get through that and then um that kind of rolled on and four games later uh we had an amazing experience and Fran had an unbelievable Ryder Cup Europe did um but yeah I mean that was that was the whole thing we we wanted to play together um but you know if you don't play well together you're not gonna you know you're not gonna go out yeah. again so we just uh, got on a roll sure 
How did that infamous video come about afterwards with, with you two, uh, the <laughs> celebration video? Yeah, so uh, Gibbo, who uh, is in charge of uh, like, you know, social media content and stuff for the European Tour and the Ryder Cup, he, he you know, had this idea, um, spoke to us and he said, we want to do this video. Um, but, you know, as the night goes on, you kind of forget about it. So, uh, however, I think somebody come and got me at like, you know, one in the morning, two in the morning, whenever it was. And said we're going to go do this, this video. And oh, this was like right afterwards. This was. Well, 2 a.m. Something like that. 3 a.m. Like the Sunday of the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So wasted no time. Uh, no, wasted <laughs> no time. And, um, yeah, probably not as sober as we looked in the video. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I wanted to ask you about uh, a couple scheduling things. So I, I know that you're one of these guys who plays both the European and the PGA Tour, um, and you probably had some sort of schedule um, planned at the beginning of the year. You know, I'm going to mm -hmm. be in the U.S. for this chunk, Europe yeah. for this chunk. Are you just basically going to be stateside now until with the European tours canceling their events through? You know, who knows when they're going to restart? Are, is your plan to just basically play only the PGA Tour this year because that's all you can do? Um, it depends. Um, you know, it, it depends on what the travel restrictions are, um, mm. for, for us, uh, not only getting to the U S but then, you know, coming home, um, you know, at the moment, obviously the PJ tour has a plan. The European tour has got ongoing plans and, you know, again, like I say, we're in sort of, we're just in a very different situation in terms of what the, some of our countries the point of what our country is is at right now to where you know certain states of america are and, and certain states are in a completely you know you guys have a bunch of countries in your own in yeah. your own country compared to what um you know little countries in europe are like so right. um so it's it, it's obviously harder sort of manufacturing a schedule in europe but i think you know i spoke to keith a couple of times keith pelly um and you know they've got ongoing plans that are looking more positive and, and we'll see what happens. I think um, I'm not, I kind of want to make a plan, but at the same time, I keep telling myself, you know, not to be too stiff about it. Just kind of see where we're at. And, you know, it's, it's going to, whatever happens, it's going to have been a very, very strange year this year. And I think whenever and wherever we get to play golf, um, I think just appreciating it and enjoying it. And of course, at the end of it, you might have won a major or two, you know, you never know. And it'll be, it'll yeah, be right. amazing. Yeah, so. Tick, tick um, them off real quick. Exactly. You could tick them off very, very quick. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's like you've got to find the right balance of sort of planning and preparing, but, and, and, you know, being motivated and ready when that time comes for these, you know, massive events, but also just kind of not putting too much pressure on yourself or, just being a bit looser about it and just, you know, at the end of the day, when golf happens, it'll happen. And wherever that is, I'll, I'll hopefully be there and playing. Well, before, obviously before uh, this all happened, you were playing very well. You had a close call at the Honda. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, you know, does that, do you put more pressure on yourself after you have such a close call? And also we obviously have to ask you what you thought of Paul Azinger's comments and, uh, the that tour comment and uh how how quickly were you told about that after you came off the course that day yeah so um you, you know whenever you you know for me i always feel like when i'm playing well i can have two or three good weeks in a row um so uh in in general if I, if i've had a good week um like the honda and you know i'd have had a really good chance of winning that i feel confident going on to the next week and stuff it didn't happen for me at bay hill but in general, I feel like uh, if I'm in a good spot, I have a good chance of carrying that on and and playing well. I mean, it's not it's not necessarily more pressure. I think I think you definitely gain a lot more confidence from it. You never know how you're going to turn up and play week in week out. But um, one of the important things is you know you might be hitting it well, but you want to know how you're scoring. You want to know like how you like manufacturing your way around a golf course. And I think if you've done that really well, it ticks a confidence box for you, and you know like the next week makes kind of preparation a little bit easier makes things just run a little bit smoother you know you can just go through ticking off what you want to do and then you feel confident that your your eyes in and you're scoring well so um i always enjoy that part of it i the the azinger comments um i honestly the, the following day after sunday at honda i was playing uh, the seminole member guest mm -hmm. and i was playing uh, with ogden who uh, i always play with at the dunhill links and stuff and i was playing with rory and his dad 
and Rory said, what did you think of the comments? And I was like, what? I, I didn't really know. I don't really, especially when I'm playing, I don't really look right. at um, social media and stuff. I kind of try and, you know, stay focused on what I'm doing and try not to have too many outside influences. And um, so he, he told me what I said. I, I didn't really, like he kind of said it and I didn't really take it in very, very well. And I was like, oh, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, but then it obviously like blew up. It was like a bit of a. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was a big thing. It was yeah. a very. It was. It was a very big thing. And um, you know, I. Th- th- there were clearly kind of it, disappointing comments from a broadcaster, if you like. I think it was, yeah. um, and not necessarily to me. Like I didn't. I didn't find it offensive to me in, in any in any way. Really, um, I found it. You know, not great for the European tour. But guys like you know Lee Westwood or. Colin Montgomery, you, you play with, you know, you play with anybody and that have played with those guys in the prime and they'll put them in the top five golfers they've ever played with. Um, and it was kind of downplaying right. their careers a little bit more than mine, to be honest. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, I don't really need to get well into what I have or haven't done. But, you know, I've played, what, three years on the PJ Tour and yeah. I've been close. It hasn't quite happened. Um Sometimes somebody plays better than me. Sometimes, you know, I yeah, might... You've got two shot. solo seconds in majors. Well, yeah, you know, and I might, you know, sometimes I might hit a bad shot at the Honda and, you know, winning is what it's all about, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And, um, you know, I don't think he meant any malice by it, but, you know, the kind of mm-hmm. last thing you want is a bit more pressure put on you from, you know, broadcasters or commentators or outside influences. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure he didn't mean it in the way he did. Is he, it's not, sorry if this comes off a bit crude, is he right? Like is winning, on in you've won events that Uh in terms of world ranking points are a stronger field and quote unquote harder to win. Is winning in the US harder or is it just, you haven't had as many chances? What what do you think it is? Um, I I think it probably depends where you learn your golf maybe. You know, it's a different style of golf um, for sure. So for the European guys say, you know, I can only talk on growing up in Europe and starting on the Challenge Tour and the European Tour. And when you do move over to the PJ Tour, it's a different style of golf. So, I mean, sometimes you're either built for it or you're not, or you're ready for it or you're not, or you have to change a couple of things. Um, you know, I, I think, to be fair, I think everybody will go through steps in their career and everybody once they've made one wants to make the next one. And I think if you've won in Europe uh, and you get a PJ tour card, of course uh, you know, you've won in Europe. So you want to win on the PJ tour. And if you've won on the PJ tour, you want to win a major, um, you know, you, you go in and not necessarily that, you know, the PJ tour is the next step from the European tour. If you've might come from America and you've won on the PJ tour, you might want to win a Rolex event on the European tour. Or something. There's, there's different stages all the time. Um, there's, you know, whether it's, it, for me, of course, winning in America is my next step. Um, and whether that is hard or easy, I mean, I, well, I won once in 2013 on the European Tour and then didn't win again until 2017. So, um, you know, I, whether, whether I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like the most prolific, I'm probably not going to win 82 times. Um, but, <laughs> Um, you have to get really hot you have to get really hot Um, yeah yeah but hopefully I'll have my time where I I do win in America and um, yeah I I I think hopefully I've answered the question well you know you go through different stages for me my next step is winning in America Um, for other people that won't be their next step whether it's harder or easier it's harder if you haven't grown up in America maybe because you're so used to Europe Mm -hmm. Uh, golf is golf as well at the end of the day so you know wherever you are if you're you know, good, it's probably the same, but um, for me on a personal level, that, that's what I feel. Cool. Yeah, I mean, if you shoot a 63 in the final round at Shinnecock, you can you can pretty much play anywhere at a U.S. Open. Uh, thanks, yeah, I didn't Tommy. win that one either. You what? Didn't win that one either. I know, but come on. I mean, it was, it was is, that, is that the best round of golf you've ever played? Because I watched you that back nine. Mm-hmm. I was following you, and that's some of the best ball striking I've seen maybe probably ever. Yeah, I was, I was playing good that day. Um, <laughs> Like I, I did wait, I, I think it was Saturday was a really hard day that week. And, um, I think I was out second to last or something on that Saturday and just really struggled, um, had a triple bogey on 10 and like I was, you know, finished with a few pars, which was great, but it was such a hard day and it was disappointing walking off to it, walking off the course after that. But I think, I think I woke up in the morning and I 
said to my kid joking, I'm, you know, let's go for Johnny Miller's record today. Or <laughs> it's something stupid, you know, but those things never come off. And then right. um, before you know it, but the way I played, definitely when you're on a hot streak, I think there's always come, there always comes a point where you, especially in a major where you stop riding the wave and it becomes a very realistic possibility that you're going to win mm-hmm. one or you have a chance. And for, for me, 15, 16, 17, 18, the way I hit the ball, and like the shots I hit was like, I was, you know, very, very proud of those like three holes where it does go from, oh, we're having a great round to uh, like, come on. Like that, that um, long iron you hit into eight, into 18, I think it was a four iron. I don't, I don't think Jesus could hit that shot. Uh, that was very good. <laughs> that high draw. It was a good job. Yeah. It was a high draw on that high fade. It suited me a bit more. And uh, yeah. yeah, but there you go. You mentioned your caddy. I know we got to let you go, but have you guys worked on your high fives since uh, the Mexico fiasco a few years back? Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of like to relax when I'm done on the golf course and he was still a bit pumped up and I let that one get away <laughs> from me. Uh, I didn't have any force in that high five, but we, we're getting better. We're okay. Better. <laughs> awesome. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for joining us today. No, uh, we appreciate it. Good luck with the hair decisions and everything thank else. And yeah, yeah. We'll, hopefully we'll see you out there soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Take care, Tommy. Thanks. See you guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Tommy Fleetwood. Obviously, we hope to see him out there sooner rather than later, hopefully with that June restart. And speaking of which, uh, our Joel Beale did an interesting story. I know there was reporting by others involved, including Brian Wacker, about kind of what the PGA Tour will look like when it returns, because it it is going to be a scaled down version. Correct, Sam? 100%. I mean, the first, I believe the first four are definitely going to be without fans, or the first few. And it's funny, it's like what we talked about with golf, earlier about you know playing golf and sort of recalibrating what we can do this is sort of the same thing but obviously on a much grander level which is that you want to have the core elements of a pga tour event which of course is you know 144 156 players keeping score and 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 whatnot but everything else kind of needs to be reconsidered so the number of fans uh you know no pro-am you know how many tv people are going to be there how many volunteers it's just a really difficult um equation to figure out right now. And they're trying to do it where it's, it's a, a tournament that has, you know, competitive integrity that, you know, means something that is entertaining to watch on TV. And obviously first and foremost is safe. Mm-hmm. And um, it's still ongoing. I think Joel, Brian Wacker and Todd Leonard who worked on it, did a great job of kind of digging into all the different questions, but it's, it's, you know, we're all hoping it succeeds, but it's, it's, it's challenging. It's sort of an interesting also insight into just kind of how the sausage gets made on the inner workings of a PJ tour event, a couple nuggets in there. And there's a, many, many more that you should definitely read the story. But one thing, how important the pro-ams are to the financial mm-hmm. health. Of I was going to say that. Yeah. Tournament. It's 80 to 85% um, of the tournament itself. Revenue, obviously the tour, the TV deal, that's a, that's a different conversation, mm-hmm. but the tournament itself, 80 to 85% comes from the fees that these businesses, CEOs and stuff mm-hmm. play to get their guys into pro-ams. Um, and, and most of that money uh, goes to charity. So the programs are, are vitally important. They're not just a fun little thing for guys to you know, tell their kids about. They're vitally important to the financial health of a, of a golf tournament. And then also just little things like, I didn't know that a, um, the sponsor of a tournament has to pay CBS uh, for them to read their name all weekend long. So just little things like that, that you might not understand, like probably never thought about, oh, how does that work? You know, where does the mm-hmm. money come from there? A lot of that in the story as well. Yeah, the, the pro-ams, I think t- the casual fan would say, so what? That doesn't affect me. And yeah, it doesn't affect you when you're when you're watching Thursday through Sunday, but it affects these tournaments. And these tournaments, at least in the beginning, are going to try to uh, do this without that money coming in. But I don't think that that would be a long-term solution based on how much money that is made, and especially for the those communities and the, the charities mm-hmm. that these tournaments benefit. So you know, again, it's not, it's not like they're just flicking the switch and everything's coming back normal. Um, It's definitely going to be a a lot different. There's still even discussion of if, you know, media or how much media will even be allowed to go. Uh, I mean, that's again, much more of a minor concern, but uh, there's still a lot to be. And the the biggest variable of all this is testing. You know, it's, it's, this is all contingent upon, you know, having some type of comprehensive testing plan in place for players. You know, I think we talked about it last week, right? Like before you leave your house or um, when you get there, how do you, what do you do if someone tests positive? Like there's so many difficult questions that need to be answered. 
Yeah, and Andy, I, I think it's either Andy Pazner or Tyler Dennis, chief of operations to the PJ. The PJ Tour is usually a well-oiled machine. That the process is in place, and it's going to take a, a comprehensive reimagining. So that is one difficult job for the, the chief of operations mm-hmm. of the PJ Tour because sure. this is an operational uh, and logistical you don't want to say nightmare because there are real nightmares going on there right now, but it's certainly an undertaking. Of course. Uh, well, anyway, we, it's, it's at least exciting to talk of, about PJ Tour, talk about the match, talk about hopefully some golf coming back starting in May and then in, into June. And again, like Sam said, there's a lot still contingent on testing and everything else, but um, hopefully we're getting a little closer and hopefully everybody out there is, is holding up. Okay. And um We'll, we'll keep coming to you and th- we appreciate you listening. Uh, thanks again to Tommy Fleetwood for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Greg, as always, uh, please subscribe to us on Apple podcasts. If you haven't done so already and check back next week to see who our guest is. <laughs>